Today we begin the first in our series about faith after doubt, something that I think many of us are trying to figure out. So welcome to our guests. You are in for quite an interesting ride today. And so let us hear our scripture reading. We will be hearing from our Hebrew texts of the Psalms, number 104, and specifically lines or verses 1 through 9, verse 24, and verse 35c. And I would like to invite our Miss Julie up to read this lesson for us from the Common English Bible Translation. But as always, I invite you to hear this in the biblical and religious language of your hearts that best connects you with God. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Lord, my God, how fantastic you are. You are clothed in glory and grandeur. You wear light like a robe. You open the skies like a curtain. You build your lofty house on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot going around on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers. You make fire and flame your ministers. You establish the earth on its foundation so that it will never, ever fall. You covered it with the watery deep like a piece of clothing. The waters were higher than the mountains. But at your rebuke, they ran away. They fled in fear at the sound of your thunder. They flowed over the mountains, streaming down the valleys to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross, so they'll never again cover the earth. Lord, you have done so many things. You made them all so wisely. The earth is full of your creations. But let my whole being bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. The lessons of God for the people of God. So as you may be able to see in our bulletin today, the title of our sermon is, Well, What'd You Expect? But before we get to that central question, I want to ask that I want to ask us all today, let's take a look at some of the special qualities of today's psalm. Psalm 104 is one of the few psalms that focuses almost completely on God's relationship to the natural world. In fact, it's one of only five psalms that are given the designation of creation psalms. And of those five, Psalm 104 is by far the longest. So aren't y'all glad I only picked a few verses to get the point across? <laughs> Nancy DeClass Walford is someone who I have been reading about um, as I've been preparing for today's message, and she is a professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at the McAfee School of Theology in Georgia. 
she points out something rather interesting about this psalm in particular. She notes that while the other four creation psalms, which for those of you who are curious, are 8, 19, 65, and 148, that while they celebrate God's sovereignty, God's rule over the created world, and then marvel at or allude to humanity's special place within that creation, Psalm 104 deviates from that. It does not lift humanity onto a pedestal among the other parts of creation. Instead, as she writes in her commentary on this text, humanity is included in its words in only one place, and that's verse 23 which reads in her translation, humanity goes forth to its work and to its labor until evening. The verse does not single out humanity, but speaks of humanity in the same breath as that of various elements of creation. In verses 19 through 20, humanity is there with the moon and the darkness. The living things of the forest in verse 20 the young lions in 21, and the sun in verse 22. So kind of like we talked about last week when we had our blessing of the animals, which I think I mentioned to someone before really is an excuse for me to pet dogs during church. Humanity is a part of that good creation made of the same stuff as the stars and the plants and the oceans Humanity was created, man, woman, and everything in between. Humanity in this psalm is not singled out as the supreme of all of creation, but instead as one with all of creation, which I think is really cool. I love the idea that we are deeply interconnected to one another and to the natural world, through God's creativity and love. And at the end of the psalm, we finish with the writer or the singer proclaiming a deep desire to sing God's praises for as long as they shall live, all the days of their life. When we read this psalm in part or in its entirety, which I recommend that you all do because it really is a beautiful song of praise, When we read the psalm, we read of an almighty God, one who does not demand worship, but instead is worthy of it. And I think that that is a real distinction. Worthy of worship, not demanding of it. Because in the words of the psalmist, God God has done so many things and done all of them wisely. And we have spoken of wisdom before. Amen. God is a creative, loving force. One who is dynamic in everything that they do. The God that the psalmist sings of, this God that we sing praises to, is one that lives and breathes. One that creates and imagines, that inspires awe and delight in the workings of their hands. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? 
Do we truly believe that God is what we read in the Psalms? Do we truly believe and sing with our whole hearts, great is the Lord who is worthy and just? Do we believe it? Do we believe it deep down in our hearts and our spirits that God is awesome and worthy and deserving of worship? Do the words of the psalmist today speak to the very core of our beings? So as I mentioned, these questions, or as I mentioned at the beginning where I said, you know, buckle up, these questions aren't the most warm and fuzzy. They're not the most inspiring questions. But these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Because convenience or making ourselves feel good does not mean that we shouldn't be asking ourselves the hard questions in life. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask them because the answers actually matter. They matter a lot. They matter because they are the basis for why we do this whole church beloved community thing. It's why we come here on Sundays or during the week or why we listen after the fact for a moment to connect with ourselves and with God and maybe even each other. It's why we do this church thing. So I want you to ask yourselves those questions as we make our way through this series of Faith After Doubt. And for now, let's just say that if the answer is yes, we do believe this. And I have to be honest with you, it's okay if the answer is no. But let's say that the answer is yes. Let me ask you now this that question that I alluded to at the start of today's message, which is when you come to church, does anyone come to church expecting to encounter the living God? Mm. Does anyone come to worship expecting to encounter the living God? That was the hard-hitting question that was put forth this week by the Reverend Dr. Derek Weber, who happens to be the United Methodist Church's Director of Preaching Ministries. Thanks, Dr. Weber. And it's been the question that's been swirling in my head from the moment I came across it in preparation for this week's message. What do we expect when we come to church on Sunday? Does anyone come to church or attend worship and expect to encounter a truly awesome and living God? When you walk into these doors in the sanctuary and take your place in the pews, do you expect to leave here changed and ready to change the world? Now, I ask this not to convict anyone but to invite us into a deeper relationship with our faith and therefore with God. So yeah, this is a tough question. It's a question that's not only tough to answer, but honestly, it's a tough question to ask because nobody wants their pastor to look at them and be like, you actually here for God or not? But it's tough 
and it's one that we need to think about. In his commentary, Reverend Dr. Weber quotes writer Annie Dillard from her book, and I love the title of it. It's called Teaching a Stone to Talk, Expeditions and Encounters. And as part of his question about what to do or what we do expect when we come to church, he quotes her. And let me tell you, this quote has really gotten me thinking because she writes, quote, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one really believe a word of it? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to a place where we can never return. Now, I'm not saying that I believe 100% of what she's saying here as far as God being asleep or waking is concerned, because I do believe that God is always on the move always seeking to break through in the broken places of our world while still being present in the overall landscape of our lives. However, I do believe that she is asking a vital question of us all. When we come to church on Sunday, what do we expect to find or to encounter? Do we come to church on Sunday for a feel-good TED Talk? or for a motivational speech? Do we come to church only out of habit because that's what good people do? Do we come to church to find a quiet space for just a moment where we can leave the world outside and all of its noise for an hour, just for some peace and quiet? And do we do that even though our hearts aren't fully dedicated to what's being sung or spoken in our sanctuaries? Do we come to church because we're seeking something bigger than ourselves? But we don't yet know what that may be. And we aren't exactly expecting to find it here, but this seems like a pretty good place to start if we are searching. Or do we come to church bringing our whole selves, our brokenness, our doubts, our certainties, all of our questions? Do we bring those along for the ride when we come to church And do we expect that God will, in fact, meet us here in this place because we truly believe in the same awesome God of the psalmist? Now, to be honest, all of these are valid reasons to come to church. Your TED Talk, your This Is What Good People Do, because you truly believe They're all valid reasons. Because church is a place for all of these questions and all of these realities. This should be a place for doubters and seekers and believers and everyone in between. It's also the place where when we arrive, we should expect something to happen. Something big, something little, but something. 
So, beloveds, what did you expect when you came to church today? Was it something? Was it nothing? What did you expect? Here's the thing, though. No matter how you answered, something, nothing, meh, I don't know. However you answered, or however you are answering as our faith journeys unfold, the psalmist reminds us of a universal truth. The psalmist who speaks and sings of a God who is fantastic, clothed in glory and grandeur, one who wears light like a robe, who opens skies, who can build a solid foundation on water, who rides on clouds, who glides on the wings of the wind and sends the winds out as messengers, one who can tame fire and flame, who has established the earth on the foundations that will never fail. Deep in those words is this universal truth that God is here. God has always been here. And God will always be here because God is in it all. The very tapestry of our world and our lived experiences are all part of this incredible design woven by God. Whether you have doubts or questions, whether you are a believer or a seeker, whether you are an agnostic or an atheist, God is here. And God is inviting us to look deeper, deeper at our faith and our connections, our expectations, our beliefs, and our doubts. So let's accept the invitation. Let us accept the invitation to explore the mysteries of our almighty God in a way that rings true for us all, for we know that everyone's path is different. God meets us at the point of our need in a way that we recognize God. Let us not have a Sunday morning only faith. Let us be invited into something deeper. Let us not have a passive going to church because that's what good people do, faith. But let us go deeper. Let us embrace this opportunity that we have been given every day to truly meet God in a way that we are able to go deeper. Deeper into our questions, deeper into our perplexities, deeper into our brokenness so that we can develop a faith that fills every moment, every action, every breath, every time. Let us expect to meet God and have God meet us. As we make our way through this season of our church and of our faith, which has has asking all kinds of questions, let us walk together. Let us journey together. Let us dig deeper together. Let us ask questions together. And let us, yes, sing praises together.
and let us do it with the expectation that something will happen. Maybe it's that God will meet us. Maybe it's that we will experience things a little differently, but let us expect something to happen right where we are. And may that expected meeting amaze and astound us so much that like the psalmist, we can't help but sing the almighty power of God and truly deeply believe it in our hearts and our minds as, and our spirits as we sing. And let us do it in such a way that we then cannot help but live into that truth that God is here that we are all part of this marvelous world design, and therefore we are called to let that God encounter transform our lives and the world around us to reflect that truth. So what'd you expect? Let us expect God. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen.